Hey church family, welcome back to another Leroy UMC podcast. Over time, the history of Methodism gradually unfolded as the history of change. As the centuries passed, and as Methodism itself grew from a connection of small groups to a full-scale church, Methodist leaders proved that they were willing to adapt to any and every change because they trusted that God was changing with them. The gospel story that was their story is incarnational in every time and place. Let's send it over to Pastor Matthias. Well, friends, this morning we are continuing uh, with our worship series that's building us up to Pentecost. Uh, We're calling our series Acts, the method of our story. Uh, As we mentioned, the whole idea behind this uh, series is that we are looking at the history of the earliest church that we find in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts is basically, yeah, it is the history, the story of what did the disciples do after Jesus left. But we're looking at the history of the earliest church and we're lining that up with the history of our own uh, church tradition, the earliest history of Methodism. Uh, And this morning we are taking a look at a phenomenon that affected both of those movements, both of those churches, and still affects us today. Uh, And so our reading is from Acts chapter 10, and it's actually one of the most, this is actually one of the most important turning points in the history uh, of our faith, the history of Christianity. We'll skip around a little bit, but I do apologize, the reading is a little bit longer than usual. Uh, Acts 10 It is a beautiful story, and it's one of those stories you kind of have to take in its entirety. You have to hear uh, a lot of it rather than just jumping around too much. So friends, uh, listen now for the word of the Lord. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon, at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? He answered, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, He called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. Skipping ahead a little bit. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, righteous and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish people, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and went with them, and some of the brothers and sisters from Joppa accompanied him. 
The following day they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together all of his relatives and close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and, falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, I'm only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is improper for a Jew to associate with or to visit an outsider. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago at this very hour, at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every people, anyone who fears him and practices righteousness is acceptable to him. You, don't, you know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. God. Holy God, once again we have gathered this morning seeking words of hope, words of grace, words of new life. And so, once again, Lord, only your words will do. So, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. We do not like change. No matter what your age, where you live, what you do, or who you are, the vast majority of people simply do not like it when things change. I even have some numbers for you. One survey that I saw this week found that only about 38% of people like to leave their comfort zone, or are optimistic about change and new experiences, while 62% of people do not like to leave their comfort zone, are nervous or anxious about change and new experiences. There's another number for you. In the business world, it is estimated that 60 to 70 percent of large-scale change initiatives fail to achieve their goals in large part because of employee resistance. We do not like change. 
And while there are lots of reasons why we might not like change, loss of control, extra work, loss of routines, people, places, so on, maybe the greatest reason why so many people have such a hard time with change is because dealing with change means dealing with things we don't know. We love knowing what to do and what's going on. Things, things become familiar to us when we understand them, and things become comfortable when things become predictable. We like routines and habits and continuity because we know what that looks like. But when things change, we get nervous because change opens up the door to a lot of new things that we don't know. We do not always like change because we do not like dealing with things that we do not know. Acts 10, that passage, is the story of one of the most significant changes in the entire history of our faith. The famous conversion of Cornelius and his family marks the beginning of the Christian mission to the Gentiles, to all non-Jewish people. It's an unbelievably significant turning point in the moment of our faith in the history of the church. Prior to Acts 10, prior to this, all of Jesus's disciples, all of his closest followers, all of his worshipers, all the Christians in the Bible were Jews. They all grew up going to familiar synagogues, listening to traditional readings from the Torah, keeping familiar dietary laws, and Peter loved it. From the time he was a kid, Peter had always been very comfortable with traditional Jewish ways of worshiping, praying, singing, ministering, you name it. And when Peter imagined where this new thing called the church was heading, when he saw it expanding, he saw it growing in those familiar ways. Peter saw the first church at first as a distinctly Jewish movement. I mean, did anybody catch in verse, in verse 28 of that chapter, Peter tells Cornelius, it is improper for a Jew to associate with or to visit an outsider. Peter originally had no plans of church ever including those strange, unfamiliar, unknown people known as Gentiles. For Peter, there are certain familiar ways of worshiping. There are particular people he is comfortable with. There is a certain trajectory for the church and for the story of his own life that Peter knows right up until the moment God changes it. That's a very important detail to pay attention to in Acts 10. And one of the reasons it's also important to read the whole story, not just take it in little bits. Throughout the whole passage, God is the one making all the changes. It's God who sends a vision to Cornelius and tells him to send men to Joppa to get Peter. It's God who tells Peter to go with those three strangers. It's God who gives Peter the new message. And at the big conclusion, it's God who shows up in person to personally change things in the Holy Spirit. God is the real 
orchestrator, driver, and mover behind every church that happens. All Peter, Cornelius, and the others have to do is just be a little bit open to the new thing God is already up to. Our God, it seems, is a God of change, as unnerving and unsettling as that may sound. However, the real twist in the story isn't just the fact that God is a God of change, but that Acts 10 isn't so much about God changing the uh, pagan Gentiles, or changing Cornelius or his family, or, or changing Jewish customs, or even about changing Peter's familiar way of doing things, so much as the story is about God changing what Peter knows. That's the real issue that's at stake. Peter thinks he knows what's right and what's wrong, what's holy and profane, what's good, what's bad, what the church should be, what the church shouldn't be, and when God leads Peter to this new person and new place, it isn't just to keep things the same, and it isn't just to change Peter's way of doing things, it's to change what Peter knows about the church, about people, about the story of his life. The real question behind Acts 10 isn't whether or not the Gentiles will convert. The real question is whether or not Peter and the Christians will be willing to trust God as things change, even if they don't know what that change means. Peter is not the first and was not the last Christian to ever have to face changes. In fact, you could argue that the 2,000-year history of our faith has unfolded as 2,000 years of change with some continuity. And once again, few groups of Christians remind us of that than, as you may have guessed, the earliest Methodists. Now, we've already talked in the series about how Methodism as a movement started out as a movement that was all about getting people to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, making it real for people. Talked about how John Wesley was a great revival preacher who went up and down England and talked about how the movement was organized in the small, intimate, weekly class meetings. That's what Methodism was about, and that's what was at its heart, but the real strength of the earliest Methodist movement was its unbelievable capacity to change. The first changes came very quickly. John Wesley's idea about faith being a very personal, intentional way of living spread quickly. More and more classes had to be set up, and soon John Wesley needed leaders, needed teachers, needed somebody to keep all of this connected and organized. But the thing is, Wesley couldn't just ordain priests or ministers. John Wesley was a surprisingly traditional guy. He was a priest in the Church of England. He had grown up in the Church of England, and Wesley wasn't actually trying to create a new church at the beginning. He was just trying to reform it. So what did Wesley do? He changed. Wesley called for 
ordinary, unordained, normal people from the pews to step up to become preachers, healers, class leaders, teachers, leaders in the church. But then things changed again. Methodism spread across the ocean to the colonies to a very strange place called America where there was a revolution. So the church changed again. It adapted to a new culture and to a very experimental new system of government called a democracy. Then people started moving west. So we changed again. We started setting up log cabin churches and camp revivals and preaching circuits. The Industrial Revolution came, so we went back to the cities and started meeting people in new factories and inner-city neighborhoods. People were sick, so we changed by setting up free clinics. People were illiterate, so we changed by creating a whole Sunday school movement where kids who had to work could come learn how to read. And the list goes on and on and on. For all the revivals, all the piety, all the classes, that may be the thing that really made our church tradition, made Methodism so effective and so successful. From the very beginning, Methodists could change. The world changed, society changed, whole governments changed, and we could change with it. We could try things a different way, go to new places, work with new people. We didn't always know what that change meant or what it looked like, but Methodists could always change because the one thing that Methodists did know was that God can work in any unknown change. And even though he didn't like it at first, even though he was anxious and nervous, even though he didn't know what it meant at the time, that is the good news that Peter found in his change. For all his worries and questions, all his unknowns, Peter in Acts 10, was willing to trust that somehow, whether he understood it or not, God's hand was moving behind that change. Peter tells Cornelius and the whole crowd of strange faces that gathers together, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every, in every people, anyone who fears him and practices righteousness is acceptable to him. What a leap of faith that would have been for Peter to say. And the amazing thing is that it's right after that, it's just after Peter expresses the faintest willingness to believe that maybe, just maybe, this change is a gift from God rather than something to fear, it's at that moment that all at once God shows up in the change. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word, and the circumcised, the Jewish believers who had come with Peter, were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. 
God was doing something new. The church was ministering in a new way with new leaders in a new place, and it was astounding. But more amazing still is the fact that not only does the church and the faith change and adapt, but that Peter himself begins to change too. Peter takes a leap of faith. Peter lets go of his need to control the situation, opens himself up to the possibilities this brings. He orders for water to be brought in immediately, asking, can anybody withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And then Peter stays with them. Peter works with them. Peter starts to change and be changed by them. Because as Viktor Frankl, a prolific author who actually survived the concentration camps, as Viktor Frankl once put it best, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged or invited to change ourselves. And as Peter leans into that change and changes himself, Peter discovers a whole new story. A new story not just for the church, but a new story for his own life. There's an epilogue to Acts 10 when many years after this in Acts 15 at a council in Jerusalem looking back years later Peter would later say that God had once decided that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. That's how Peter comes to understand himself over time not by the familiar, comfortable story he once knew, but by that strange, unnerving, uncomfortable, and absolutely miraculous new story that he did not know at first, but which God had known all along. And in the end, that might be the real miracle behind Acts 10, the real good news. It's true, we do not like change in our jobs, in our families, in our schedules, in our communities, in all sorts of things. Change makes us nervous, it makes us anxious, might even make us afraid because we are nervous about dealing with things we don't know. But the good news that Peter discovered is that it's only when God changes the story we know that we can step into the new story that God knows. The good news that John Wesley and his earliest Methodists learned is that church is not a static organization. It is a living body of Christ that can always find new ways to be Christ's hands in a changing world. And the good news that we each get to embrace Every time things change in our lives, in our families, in our community, in our church, is that sometimes the change we don't know at first is just the beginning of the new story that God knows. And thanks be to God for it. Amen. Friends, please pray with me. Lord, you are the one certainty in this life, because from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 
And Lord, change is the one constant in this life because from day to day you are always changing. You are always making all things new, and that includes us. Lord, you are a God of change because you are a God who never stops calling us to something new, to new stories, new faces, new miracles, new blessings, new life. So, Lord God, in every change that we face, may we hear your voice call us to take that leap of faith, to trust you with what we do not know, and to believe in all the miracles that you can work and that you know ahead. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you are blessed and that you are a blessing. Go in peace.